Let's open our Bibles to Mark chapter 6. We are continuing on as we do verse by verse through the Gospel of Mark. And uh, today we're going to be studying the principles of serving Jesus. And so we're going to read some verses and we're going to skip over a section and then we're going to tag on a couple of verses at the end. So um, we're going to do that. So Mark chapter 6, we're going to start at verse 7. Let me read. I'll read verses 7 to 13 and then down to verse 30 to 32 and then we'll have a word of prayer. So, And he called the twelve to him and began to send them out two by two and gave them power over unclean spirits and he commanded them to take nothing for the journey except a staff, no bag, no bread, no copper in their money belts, but to wear sandals and, and, to, and, excuse me, but to wear sandals and not put on two tunics. And he said to them, In whatever place you enter a house, stay there till you depart from that place. And whoever will not receive you nor hear you, when you depart from there, shake off the dust under your feet as a testimony against them. Assuredly, I say to you, it will be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. So they went out and preached that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. And then skipping down to verse 30, when the, when the disciples returned from their ministry trip. Then the apostles gathered to Jesus, first time they're called apostles, and they told him all things, both what they had done and what they had taught. And he said to them, Come aside by yourselves to a deserted place and rest a while, for there were many coming and going, and they did not even have time to eat. So they departed to a deserted place in the boat by themselves. So, as we do, let's pray before we begin. Thank you. Lord, your word tells us that you created us in Christ. We are your workmanship. And that we were created in Christ for good works, Lord, to do, to do your work, to be about the business of the kingdom. That's why you created us. One of the reasons, and a big one, to serve you, created in Christ Jesus for good works which you ordained beforehand. And so, Lord, you've planned out those things that you have for us. We want to know what they are, and we want to be doing them, Lord, because in doing them there is great joy and there's great reward. And so, uh, Lord, show us your ways, we pray, for your glory and for our benefit, Lord, and for the benefit of all that we meet. Thank you. pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Principles of Serving Jesus. Um, this is a topic that's pretty dear to my heart. Um, when it, where, whenever I'm not sure what I'm going to say, I always look at the ceiling. I'm looking for the answer up there on the ceiling. Something that we do, isn't it? It's kind of funny. Um, there's a lot of expressions of, of Christian churches today. There's a lot of... Uh, Flavors. There's a lot of denominations. I'm fine with denominations as long as they embrace Christ. I'm, I have no trouble with that. Uh, God is infinite. We are finite. We're going to spend our entire life, you know, seeking to understand Him better. And so we might group up and, and cluster up in different groups. And I, that's okay. I, I'm okay with that. I don't think that's a wrong thing. Uh, I think it's wrong if we separate from one another because of that. That's why I love Good Friday service so much that we get together with other churches. And some of the expressions um, of the Christian church, the strategies of man sneak in. Um, every pastor, every 
church leader. I mean, we exist with the desire to share Christ with people. We exist that people would join us to hear what we have to say. Uh, you know, we believe we're speaking the truth. Every pastor believes that. Or I mean, there might be a few out there that are purposely lying and they're purposely deceitful, but I guess what I'm trying to say is, by and large, I think ch- churches have a lot of good intentions. A lot of good intentions. It's not uh, strange or infrequent that I receive emails from Christian organizations teaching me how to grow the church. Uh, strategies and uh, this guy discovered this thing and in 30 days his church tripled and if I want to pay $149, I can learn that secret too. And uh, I'm, I'm real serious. I get those kind of stuff all the time. You know, Jesus said, he said to his disciples, I will build my church and the gates of hell won't prevail against it. And, and we really need to trust Jesus to build his church. This is a local expression of the, of the body of Christ, Grace Church, First Christian, Hillside, Napa Valley Baptist. A lot of churches in town are local expressions of the body of Christ. And so there's the church local, then there's the church kind of communal, and then there's the church universal. And in every instance, Jesus said, I will build my church. I will bring people to it. I will inspire people's hearts. I will equip them. I will enable them. I will direct them. I will guide them. I will restrain them. I will console them. I will correct them. It's Jesus' church. And I think that is one of the most precious things that as Christians that we really need to remember. It's Jesus' church. It's not Pastor Bill's church or Vince or Rob or you know, the worship team. Or it's, it's not your church. It's not my church in regards to being over it. It's our church communally, but in regards to the leading and the guiding and the, the directing of the church, it's Jesus' church. Would you guys say amen to that? Would you, it's Jesus' church. So if the church is going to be built, we need to follow the ways of Christ. Not only to follow the ways of Christ, we need to follow Christ. And one of the concerns that I have, and it's a very deep concern that I have, is when churches with good intentions and, and good people, well, well-intentioned people, allow themselves to kind of get uh, fooled into thinking we need to use the strategies of men to build the church. And one of the things that I see in Christendom, both locally and nationally and internationally, is, is the idea if, if people come to church, if you just keep them busy, they'll have something to live for. They'll have a purpose. And everybody wants to have a purpose in life, whether you realize it or not. Your purpose may, may be to have no purpose. Your purpose may be to, to, to relax and take it easy and, and do nothing. But we all have a purpose in life. And a lot of people want to live and be involved in something that's bigger than themselves. And I understand that and I, I think that's an okay thing. To have a reason to live, a purpose. Even uh, Rick Warren with his book, you know, a gazillion seller, more than a million seller, uh, you know, the purpose-driven life. And I think there's some good things in the book. I don't agree with all of it. Another story. But the reason that that kind of book resonates is because people want to have a purpose. They want to have a reason. They want to have something to live for. Now, the, the, the unsaved man, the, the natural man, the Bible calls an unsaved man the natural man, he's living by his wits, he's living by his instincts, he's living according to his own logic and all of that. He'll, I mean, there's some really nice, good, non-Christian people out there and they're doing the best that they can, but all they have to work with is just human intelligence and human wisdom and human instinct and human philosophy, all things human. And they get some good things done. There's hospitals built and there's, uh, you know, uh, philanthropic work that gets done and all that. And so I'm not speaking against those things. What I'm saying is the body of Christ, Jesus himself has elevated us 
to a higher place than that. Not a, not a better place in that we are better people. We're not better people. In fact, we're Christians because we know that we need a Savior. We know that we're sinners. And that's why we came to Christ, because we knew that we were sinners and we needed forgiveness. But what I am saying, we have the greatest purpose on earth. You need to believe that. The Christian has the greatest purpose on earth because nothing else is going to be eternal. You can build a a beautiful hospital in every town and and comfort kids with cancer and see a lot of them healed and all of that, but eventually they're all going to die and stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And so the work of the kingdom of God is the highest calling, guys. It's the highest calling that we can be involved in. My goal has never been to get a bunch of people in Cornerstone. It's never been my goal. Um, And I've been pretty good at it too. (laughs) But if you're here, and if you stay here, I pray that it's because you sense Jesus is in this place. And if you sense Jesus, amen, Corey, that a girl. And if you sense Jesus is in this place, then it doesn't matter if someone isn't nice to you one day or if at the moment you're not involved in a ministry or at the moment, uh, you know, the, there doesn't seem to be a lot going on, et cetera, et cetera, fill in the blank. There's lots of reasons that people kind of avoid church and stay out of church. But if you sense that Jesus is in this place, Jesus is being glorified, we're being taught about Jesus, he's being exalted, People are being pointed to Jesus and sent out in his name. That's everything. And so I'm not trying to pick a fight with, with anybody at all, or with any other churches. But if you just want to go be busy, there's lots of organizations, including churches and nonprofits, that will keep you busy. And you can have a great sense of, you know, we went out and we did these things and we did disaster relief. And disaster relief is beautiful and I pray that all, many Christians are involved with things like Katrina and San, Hurricane Sandy and, and all these other things. I, I pray that we would be involved in our communities in many, many ways. But guys, it's not just raking, you know, shoveling mud out of somebody's house got, that got flooded by Katrina. It's shoveling mud out of their house with the mindset that, Lord, I pray that I can talk to this person about you. There's two kinds of mud shovelers. The temporal-minded and the eternal-minded. There's two kinds of people that give close to orphans, the temporal-minded and the eternal-minded. And go on down the list. And guys, we must, if you're a Christian, you must have an eternal mindset. You must. And it's something we grow into. And maybe right now you haven't. And maybe right now you're involved in something. And, and I, again, I'm not here to put anything down. I'm here to, uh, to have our minds lifted up to the highest level as Jesus here is teaching us about discipleship and about service. And so I pray that if you're here, the main reason you're here isn't even because your friends are here. I know people that come to this church and their friends go to every other church, but they say, you know, God has me here. He doesn't have me just following my friends. He doesn't have me just be here or be there because they're busy or there's energy or there's this and that. If you look in the book of the Revelation, the seven letters to the seven churches, there were some churches that were very, very busy, but they had forgotten Christ. Jesus said, you know, you've left your first love. You're very busy, but you've left your first love. So the primary thing for us as believers, and this is an encouragement, perhaps a bit corrective if, if you need to hear it, certainly not angry, don't mean to scold anybody, but our, but our calling is to have Jesus as our first love and be a part of him building his church and building his kingdom in the world. And I, I do want to hear an amen on that. That's, guys, that's what it's about. It's not just about doing nice stuff to nice people. 
or needy people. It's way bigger than that. You have to be eternally minded. So that's kind of my heart on this passage. Now I want to teach it, but I just I really feel it's very easy for us to to settle for second place or second best. It's very easy for us to be talked in to logical thinking rather than spiritual thinking. Jesus said, I will build my church. So I pray that every one of us wants to be a part of that. Whether, whether you're, I said I was going to start, but I guess I'm not. Whether, whether you're reaching out with us in Mexico or this summer in Ukraine and England or whether you're reaching out to people downtown, whether you're an evangelist or whether you're an in-house kind of builder ministering to the body of Christ, may I, may I, may I plead with you, we, we need help in the, in the children's ministry. We need help in the children's ministry. Can I say it again? Say it with me. We need help in the children's ministry. With all the school shootings and all these things, people are saying guns, guns, guns. What about the kids, kids, kids? They need to value life. They need to, they need to love God. They need to love Jesus. There's parents bringing their kids here. We can get them young. <laughs> we can love them with the love of Christ. You can change the world by ministering to a child. You don't know how you even know how it's going to turn out. And it's not just duty, guys. That's an opportunity. So be a part of how Jesus wants to build his church here locally, out in the streets, internationally, nationally, whatever it is. Be a part of how God wants to build his church and how he wants to extend his kingdom. And God wants to extend his kingdom through the church, through you guys. The kingdom of God is extended through you guys and through me. And so Jesus teaches us here uh, that we, we see this, this incident that happened. And so we're being taught indirectly, but these are the principles of ministry, and so I want to go through them with you. So thanks for allowing me to have that long warm-up. Uh, I have the microphone. You can't hardly stop me anyway, so, but I appreciate it. So I want to point some things out. If you want to look at your notes now, let's kind of transition right to the study here. It says in verse 7, And he called the twelve to him and began to send them out two by two, gave them power over unclean spirits. Before we go serve God, before we are sent out by Jesus, we are called to Jesus. Everything, everything in the Christian life starts with us being called to Christ. I have a lot of verses for us today. I printed them down so we don't have to be turning to a lot of passages. We are first called to Jesus for salvation. It begins with salvation. Ephesians 1, chapter, chapter 1, verse 4 and 5. Just as he, the Father, chose us, all of us here, you who, you who know Christ, chose us in him, Christ, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. It's God's good pleasure to make you his child. But we have been called by the Father to the Son. So these guys here, and we see it in verse 7, and he called the twelve to him. He had already called them to himself. They had already left their businesses and their jobs to follow Jesus. When, if we're going to serve God in the kingdom of God, we first have to belong to God. And we are made acceptable to God as we come through Jesus Christ, the Savior of our, of, of our souls, the one who died for our sins, the one in whom we find redemption and forgiveness and our sins are washed away and all of those phrases that you guys know. We have to be right with God before we can serve God. So first it starts by coming to him. John 6:44. Jesus said the same thing. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. So God is always the initiator. We have the phrase, you know, and, and, and we, say, we may say something like, I found the Lord. Well, you found him because he was calling you. 
didn't start with you, it started with him. God is always the initiator. And so before we are sent out in service, we have to be called to Christ. First thing, we are, first we are called to Jesus. Secondly, then we are sent out by Jesus. We are sent out by Jesus with particular kinds of giftings, calling, and service. Everyone who is a, a Christian has gifts given to them with which they can serve God. Every single one of you. None of you is ungifted. The Bible doesn't teach that. You may feel ungifted. You may kind of walk around kicking the dirt, saying, oh, shucks, you know, I just don't have anything I can offer. Yeah, you do. The Bible teaches otherwise. The Bible says we all have gifts. We all have calling. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 4 and 6. Look there in your notes if you would. There are different kinds of spiritual gifts, but the same Spirit is the source of them all. There are different kinds of service, but we serve the same Lord. God works in different ways, but it is the same God who does the work in all of us. So we have three staff pastors, but currently only one is called to be the lead pastor. Me and Vince would have a draw. He'd probably take me, but Rob would whoop me good. <laughs> We're called by the Lord and given gifts and given places to serve. And I think our gifts often line up with our temperament. And I have discovered, I can't prove this biblically, but I have discovered that your gifts and your temperament often also line up with what you like to do. It doesn't mean that serving the Lord is always something we love to do. There are difficult situations to be sure. But first we come to Jesus, then we are gifted and enabled and equipped and sent out by Jesus, and all of you has gifts with which you can serve the Lord. A couple of notes here. In the service of God, he's the initiator. He's the giver of gifts. He assigns us. He sends us. We are not to be self-determining in wanting to serve God, but we are to be responsive to what he wants us to do. In the 26 years that we've been here so far, I've had a, uh, early on I remember a, a, a brother in Christ that, that felt called to the ministry, wanted to be a pastor. Um, I, didn't, I didn't see it, you know, and I, I don't, because I didn't see it doesn't mean it wasn't there. Uh, but in this particular case, I, I did see it correctly. And uh, I mean, it, it, that's, a, that's a great thing to want to be able to serve people and, you know, and teach the Bible and study and pray and counsel and do a lot of other things as well. And uh, excuse me one, but it was he was he it was like a square peg in a round hole. He was forcing it. He was better at other things, and I think he found his way into other things. But since 26 years have passed, he never became a pastor. It may have been something he aspired to, and maybe he uh, admired uh, the position in the church and and so on and so forth. But it wasn't something God called him to, or something God gifted him with. So we don't want to force our way into something that we're not called to. The next note. Admittedly, it can be tricky understanding what gifts we have been given and where and when we should be serving God. It may take us time and effort to discover those truths about ourselves and get past fear and self-disqualification. It took me a number of years to, 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 to figure out that God was calling me to be a pastor. A lot of starting and failing, starting and failing, etc. I'll leave it at that. I'll save you the gory details. They're not too gory, but there's always some gory details. It can be hard to figure out, like, Lord, how do you want to use me? 
What am I good at? What do I like to do? What am I inclined to? When I hear about this or that thing, does, does my, does my uh, heartbeat start you know, increasing a little bit? Do I feel a little something there? It can be easy to, to look at others and say, well, they're better than I am at it. You're probably right about that. If I, if I use that um, line of thinking with myself, well, there's, there's people that are better pastors than me, then I never would have been a pastor. There's always going to be somebody better than you. But, but we thank the Lord. Debbie and I talk about it often. We're glad that God called us to Napa. We're glad to be serving this church. Not serving the church over there or there or there. and we're serving this church. And he called us to this. It takes a while to figure that out sometimes. Maybe you're called to be a missionary and you're thinking, why, why are we doing this? Or maybe you're called to, to do something that does, doesn't seem like anybody else wants to do. Why am I doing this? It takes a while to figure those things out. But guys, God wants to build his kingdom and he wants to build his church, doesn't he? And he wants to use you. And whatever he's called you to, as I quoted uh, from the book of Ephesians, you are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. And today you may sit with us and say, well, I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. Okay, that's fine. It's a great reason to have somebody pray for you. If you don't know what you're supposed to be doing in the body of Christ and in the kingdom of God, we're going to close with a song as we do each week and there's going to be people here to pray for you. Number one, I hope you care that you don't know. Maybe you're like, I don't know. Well, I'm off the hook. No, you're not off the hook. God wants to use you. He's given you gifts. If you're a Christian, he's given you gifts and a calling to be doing something. And you may say, well, I don't know what it is, therefore I'm going to do nothing. If you don't know what it is, the thing that you need to do is figure it out and pray for revelation and ask people to pray for you and read about it. And online you can find like spiritual gifts, evaluations and tests and other ways that, you know, but you should be seeking that out. It's like a man getting married and saying, I don't know how to be a good husband, but I'm not going to bother learning. Mistake. You need to learn. You need to, I'm going I'm to marry this guy, but I don't know how to be a good wife. Well, then you better start praying and reading your Bible and talking to people that have been married a long time and figure it out. I love YouTube because there's so many DIY, do-it-yourself videos, how to do anything. Figure, figure out how God wants to use you. That can take some time. And if you're on the process, that's fantastic. You're, it's, it's fine. If you don't know today, it's fine. But if you don't care, it's not fine. It's not Okay. And we all have our jobs and maybe, maybe what God has you doing right now is you're, you know, you're, you're the Joe the Christian plumber or you're, you know, whatever, whatever. That's fine. How do you translate that from a temporal mindset to, to an eternal mindset? You're Joe the Christian plumber and you're fixing this thing under the sink and all of that, but you're praying for these people. And if they say, you know what, you skinned your knuckles and you're bleeding and it's hard for you and this and that and you have such a great attitude. Why is that? God has done such a great work in my life. Can I share it with you? Can I invite you to church? Boom. There it is right there. It's an eternal mindset. And we must have that. And guys, if you don't, you're off the mark. It's just the way that it is. If I don't have it, I'm off the mark. I need to run everything that I'm doing by that grid. Is there eternal value in it? Is there... Um, potential for eternal value in it, even vacations. Vacations are a great time to vacate, get out of town, or go relax and all of that. Be refreshed in the Lord. Take some good books. Spend some quality time with your family. If your kids are little, 
read, read, read the Bible to them around the campfire. Redeem all of those things. It's all, it should all be eternal. It doesn't have to be busy at church. It can be, go, you know, go to the beach, but if you go to the beach, don't forget Jesus, right? Especially if you go out in the water. <laughs> Remember he's there. Man, these Northern California beaches are too scary for me, man. It's, water's cold and sharks and, ooh, all, all nasty stuff. It's all redeemable. It's all about the kingdom of God. It's all about the church of Jesus Christ. If you don't know what you're supposed to be doing, pray. And I really want to encourage you today, when we close, if you don't know what you're, how you're supposed to be serving the Lord, number one, do you care about it? If you do, fantastic. If you don't, come forward and say, you know what, I don't care, but I know that I should. Would you pray for me? And God will begin to change your heart. If you do care, and I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing, come forward, we'll pray for you. Lord, show this brother, show this sister how you want to use them. And help them be patient while they're, while they're figuring it out. But we need to care. We need to care. In all of these things, last point on, on Roman numeral number one, God is the initiator, God is the equipper, God is the sender. It doesn't originate with us. It originates with Him. We respond. We respond to Him. We are responders. The particulars of this ministry trip... Pick up the speed a little bit here. Excuse me one moment. Verse 7. And he called the twelve to him. And he began to send them out two by two and gave them power over unclean spirits. Now this two by two, I don't think it seems to be, to me it doesn't seem to be a mandate for all time. It's like if you're going to be serving the Lord in the the kids' ministry, you may want to take somebody to help you. I don't know. But it doesn't, I don't think, I don't think that's an absolute. However, There is wisdom in serving God with other people around you. There's accountability. There's encouragement. There's support. There's brainstorming together. There's mutual counsel. Also in the Old Testament, in a court of law, legal testimony was established by two or more witnesses. And so as they went out to to share the gospel message, they had two or more witnesses saying the same thing. So that was kind of another aspect of it. In verse 7, they were given power over unclean spirits. And we are not told how that happened. We don't, we don't know if Jesus kind of laid hands on them or just spoke the word and suddenly they were endued with power. We're not told how that worked. It just, it happened. In verses 8 and 9, they were to not take a lot of extra provisions and in fact on this trip take nothing. And so as we serve the Lord, there are principles that we always want to follow and then there are specifics that are for this trip or for that trip or whatever, or this ministry or that ministry. So there's principles that are unchanging, and then there are specifics. This idea of not taking a lot of extra provisions doesn't appear to be a permanent mandate. Look at your notes, if you would. <clears throat> Later on, in the book of Luke, Jesus said to them, when I sent you without money bag, knapsack or sandals, did you lack anything? And they said, no, we didn't lack anything. That, that, that was a reference to this trip here in Mark 6. Then he said to them, but now he who has a money bag, let him take it, and likewise a knapsack, and he who has no sword, let him sell his garment and buy one. Things were changing. Jesus was going to go to his death, and there was going to be more hostility against the work of the kingdom of God. So they needed a new awareness. They needed to travel a new way. Before, earlier on, not a problem. As things were developing, it became more problematic for them. 
So Jesus said, I sent you out before with nothing, but this time I'm sending you out with some, some stuff. So we don't always want to say, well, I read it in the Gospel of Mark, go out with nothing. Yeah, but then it says in the Gospel of Luke later on, he, he changed it up for them. So that tells me that this idea of going out with nothing isn't a permanent thing. What is permanent? Going out the way he tells you to go. That's, that's, that's what's permanent. Lord, do you want us to go with nothing or do you want us to, to, to have two semi-trucks behind us? He'll change it up because he knows what's coming. Verse 37 there, For I say to you that this which is written must still be accomplished in me, and he was numbered with the transgressors, speaking of his upcoming death, for the things concerning me must have an end. And he, he's basically saying, my earthly ministry is coming to an end. It's going to get hard for you guys. So you need to kind of retool yourselves. Things, things are going to change. Number 10, or excuse me, verse 10. He said to them, in whatever, whatsoever place you enter a house, stay there till you depart from that place. So they were to be willing to receive hospitality. It was very customary in those days to receive hospitality. And so that wasn't abnormal. That was, that was expected. But they needed to be humble enough to let somebody else take care of them. Some of us, maybe that rubs us the wrong way. Nobody's going to take care of me. Well, then you're probably going to fail. <laughs> you know, there are times when we just go with what's being set before us. And that's what Jesus is saying here. He told them to stay in one place. Now, my thought is on this, we're not told, but my thought is on this, if they show up into town and say, we're from Jesus, we have a message from you, oh, come into my house, and they're there for like a week, and then people are kind of going, you've been here a week. Okay, we'll go over there, stay for another week, and we'll go over there, stay for... Pretty soon they're known as freeloaders. Pretty soon they're taking advantage. So Jesus said, don't, don't appear that way. Don't, in, my, in my opinion, this is why he's saying this. Don't let people think that you're just here for a free meal. Don't let yourself be misunderstood. Don't be blamable. 1 Thessalonians 5.22, down near the bottom there, it says this, abstain from every form of evil, and the word form can also mean appearance. So don't, let, don't, don't serve God in such a way that people could <clears throat> excuse me, blame you for something, some misconduct or something like that. Be careful how you do things. And finally in verse 11, whoever will not receive you nor hear you when you depart from there, shake off the dust from under your feet as a testimony against them. Assuredly, a city will be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. Jesus is telling us there, guys, that when we go serve him and when we're, when we're sharing the gospel with people, and <clears throat> the some just aren't going to be interested. You know, we've had this coffee ministry going for a while. It's kind of been, been slowing down lately. If you want to help, let me know. Um, but sometimes I'm just out there by myself, and it's fine. I, I don't mind that at all. And... Um, <clears throat> They, they kind of figured out that we're Christians, <laughs> you know, and uh, and sometimes I know, you know I know parents are dropping off their kids and they're in a hurry and all of that, but sometimes I just get the feeling like if I don't look, he won't talk to me. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> and I and I'm really laid back. I don't I don't I'm not like have some coffee. You want to get saved? You know I'm not like I, I don't do that kind of stuff. I'm just kind of a friendship evangelism thing. Hey, how are you? I know a lot of the, the parents by their first name. I know the kids by their first name. How's it going? How's your vegetable garden? You know, I kind of know some of them and all that kind of stuff. But I just have a hunch that some of them are like, I don't want to talk to that guy. I don't want to talk to him. He might try to pray for me or something. You know? 
it's okay. It's okay. It's kind of funny because I'm like two feet away. I'm walking right. It's like, ah, the invisible man here to serve you, you know. Not everybody wants Jesus, you know. In fact, Jesus said, broad is the road that leads to destruction. Narrow is the road that leads to eternal life and few people find it. So he's just simply telling his people, his guys here, not everybody's going to want to hear what you have to say. And shaking the dust off your feet was just a way of saying, you know, we came and we tried and, and now you're responsible for the decision that you've made and um, it, it's all yours, you know. In fact, Jesus said it's going to be more tolerable for, for Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment. These are ancient cities that were visited by angels in Genesis chapter 19. They didn't receive the message from God and the, the fire and the brimstone came. But that's less of a punishment than the ones that would reject the disciples. The ones that would reject the disciples would suffer more punishment eternally because these guys were directly sent by Christ and they were proving themselves by casting out demons and healing the sick. And their, their ministry was very verifiable. So there was more responsibility on the listeners. One other thing, we're not going to stay with it for too long. But the Bible does seem to teach there are degrees of eternal there are degrees of eternal judgment. Luke chapter twelve, look at your notes there on page two. And that servant who knew his master's will did not prepare himself to do according to his will, that servant shall be beaten with many stripes. The one with knowledge that says no suffers more than the one that didn't know. But he who did not know yet committed things deserving of stripes shall be beaten with few, for everyone to whom much is given, from him much will be required, to whom much has been committed of him, they will ask the more. So Jesus is just simply telling us, telling them and, and teaching us by, by way of this story that um, there are degrees of judgment. And the degrees of judgment is if you uh, don't know a lot about Jesus but reject him, it's not as bad as if you know a lot about Jesus and reject him. And that's very sad. But if we're serving the Lord, that's part of what we go through too, rejection. And so if you're thinking about, well, I do want to pray at the end of the service. I'm not sure what my gift is, but I am interested. I do want to pray. And then you begin to discover how God wants you to serve him and it's fantastic and you're having some initial success and things are going pretty well. And then somebody kind of you know, does this thing to you and rejects you and gives you a hard time. You can expect that. You can't serve Jesus without taking a beating at times. You will. That's just how it is. Jesus said the disciples are not above his master, right? And they killed him, right? Guys, the churches that are, you know, forgive me, but this is a, it's a real disservice and God's going to call some pastors out on this. The churches that don't warn uh, the people in the congregation about the hardships of following Christ are going to answer to the Lord for it. It's hard sometimes, but it's good. Amen? It's right. Jesus gave his life for us. We can take a little insult here and there or lose a friend or even lose a job here and there. He gave his life for us. Even if he would have just stepped out of heaven and put on flesh and lived the perfect human life, that's a huge step down right there, something we'll never understand. So he's just telling them and telling us, you're going to be rejected at times. And, and if you expect to serve Jesus without some rejection, you're going to be, just, you're going to be surprised. But if you know that it's coming, Jesus said rejoice because that's how they treated the prophets before you. So we need to get past our human 
emotions. We need to get past our human mindset. We need to get past our logic. We need to get past our feel-good church experience. You know, what feels, you know what's going to feel really good? Standing before Christ and having him say what? Well done, good and faithful servant. Way to go! You stood out there and they wouldn't talk to you and you're serving coffee. Way to go! Right on! You served in the kids' ministry and they kicked you in the shin and called you a name. Right on! You didn't strike back. Right on! You know, you know what I'm saying? There's going to be pushback, guys. And it's a disservice to not warn people about that. But if, we're, that's, if that's our conditions for serving, we're missing it. We're missing the mark. So don't miss the mark on that. The message in the ministry, moving forward. What, what, did, they, what did the disciples say? Look at verse 12. So they went out and preached that people should repent. This is ministries to the souls of men and women. The word repent, look at your notes, it means to change one's mind for the better to have a change of intention and direction. Now, I just want you to see how regularly this word repent shows up in the, in the word of God. Because again, this is a word that sometimes, and I'm not on the war path against particular pastors or particular churches, but I greatly disagree and think they're doing a huge disservice when they don't preach the full counsel of God. And I'm not saying we're better, I'm just, I just believe that it's right to preach the full counsel of God. And so just notice how often this word comes up. John the Baptist. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus, Matthew 4.17, from that time Jesus began to preach and say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Peter on the day of Pentecost in Jerusalem. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. Peter preached a sermon. They were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Peter said to them, Repent. Let everyone be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sin. You shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Paul on Mars Hill with some Greek philosophers, he's talking to them. He says to them, Truly these times of ignorance God has overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere. All men everywhere. Guys, mark it. In your minds, in your Bibles, mark it. All men everywhere to repent. Because he has appointed a day. Why, why should people repent? Please don't miss this. Because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. He has given assure of this, assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. Dear brothers and sisters, it's not the gospel unless, unless it starts with repentance. I would imagine I don't know but I would imagine you can join some churches today and never need to repent. You just sign up and do things and it's social and it's fun and there's nice people and you're doing nice things in the community and all that and there's no repentance. You're not saved. God hasn't sent you out. You've sent yourself out. The church has sent you out. But you haven't turned from your sins. And this is what it means. We need to turn from our sins. We need to get to the place where we say, you know what, God, I agree with you. I've sinned. I've sinned against you. I've sinned against people. I've sinned against myself. I've sinned, Lord. Forgive me. I want to live right. That's repentance. And then you receive forgiveness and the Spirit of God comes in you and you begin to change and you begin to understand your gifts and you have this motivation and he starts sending you out. But first you have to come to him and then you are sent out from him. And it starts with repentance. And I just want to, I want to warn you guys. If the Lord would ever leave you, lead you away from this church, and a lot of people come and go, and that's fine. Do not end up and do not accept a church setting 
where repentance is not taught. Repentance isn't a beatdown. Repentance is getting real with the Lord and just saying, you know what? Man, I've been wrong, Lord. I'm sorry. It's just being honest. And every Christian, we need to repent regularly about this and that, don't we? Anyway, sorry, Lord. I know. Okay, okay, let's start over. That's why his mercies are new every morning because I need them to be new every morning. Feels good to get it cleared up with me and the Lord and you, and you guys, you and the Lord. Feels good. But that's how Christian ministry starts. Otherwise, it's just church stuff. It has nothing to do with the kingdom of God. Verse 13, they were given power to cast out demons, spiritual and soulish deliverance from evil spirits. We can do that same ministry, whether instantaneous or with prolonged prayer. We encourage you, let us pray for you. You pray, put in prayer requests. We pray for people here every week. A lot of prayer goes, goes on around here. I've never had to face somebody to try to cast out a demon. It may happen in my life, I don't know. But I'm sure I've been praying for people that had friends on board that I didn't know about. And the, and the Lord delivered them somehow and they came, they came to Christ. So, kind of a note and an observation here. It can be easier to minister to people's physical needs because they appreciate it. It's not threatening or accusing or judging. There's no confrontation. You show up to Katrina, nobody's going to ask here if you're a Catholic or a Protestant. You came with a shovel and you can help, fantastic. It's not confrontive to help people's physical needs. And that's a beautiful thing. It's really legit to help people's physical needs and we should. All I'm saying is this. Don't just help people with physical needs and be afraid to address their spiritual needs and bring up the word repent. You can prove how much you love them with that shovel, shoveling mud, hauling that furniture out of that house out on the street. You can do that. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. We should do that. But unless you at least have a mindset and a prayer life of saying, Lord, I want this person to come to you. May we not congratulate ourselves just because we're doing physical things because I just want to submit to you. Sometimes doing physical things can make us feel real good about about ourselves, but it it makes no eternal value, no eternal difference in somebody's life. I'm not saying we shove a Bible down their throat. You guys guys are with me, right? Everybody with me? Raise your hand if you understand what I'm talking about. Should I move on? I'm going to move on. You guys understand what I'm saying? Don't just be physically, I'm just going to help, help, help. No, you also need to, to bring the message. You also need to bring the message as the Lord allows you. And maybe it's just going to be a response to a question. Why are you here for five days in a row shoveling mud? Because God has filled my heart with love for you. Would you mind if I told you about that? Boom, mission accomplished. Kingdom of God in, in, at work, right? So, so don't, don't, don't kind of, just be self-congratulating because you're doing physical things. Have a, have a bigger mindset than that. Finally, this is my first of three conclusions here in verse 30. And Jesus immediately knowing, oops, chapter 6, William, chapter 6, okay, over here. Then the apostles gathered to Jesus and told him all things, both what they had done and what they had taught. And he said to them, come aside by yourself to a deserted place and rest a while. For there were many coming and going and they did not even have time to eat so they departed to a deserted place in the boat by themselves. After the disciples, the disciples were excited to report back to Jesus all that had happened. And you can't blame them. My goodness. Power over demons, power to heal the sick, power to go preach. I'm sure they saw some lives change. That's very exciting stuff. Let me ask you, and, and serving God, as I said, isn't always glamorous. 
or fun or, or immediately, my goodness, immediately gratifying. But have you ever had that experience? You can say amen if you want. Have you ever had that experience where you go, man, I did what God wanted and it was great. Anybody? Amen or not? Yes or no? That's a great feeling, man. Sometimes we go, I did what God wanted me. That was hard. Sometimes it is. But sometimes we come back and we say, man, that was great. I got to talk to people and I think God used me and I'm noticing a change in that person. I pray that every Christian here would have that experience. We need to. And it's not going to happen if we're passive. I'm not, I'm not suggesting that we're bulls in a china shop, but I'm suggesting that we are eternally minded. Another pitfall is that we can come back and, and have a little bit too much, uh, a little pride about what we've done. Look down at, at Luke chapter 10. Jesus first sent out 12, then he sent out 70 after that. In Luke we say, then the 70 returned with joy saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. That's pretty exciting stuff. People were freed from demonic possession. That's wonderful. But Jesus said to them, and I'm going to insert my, my Jesus voice. Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said, I saw Satan fall like lightning. That's what I get out of it. We saw demons come out of people. Jesus is saying, I was there when it started. I saw him, I saw him come out of heaven. So let's not get overly excited about that. Behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Nevertheless, don't rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. That's the, that's the, big, that's the big thing to be excited about. Whether people receive you or not, whether people drink my fabulously brewed coffee or not, whether they whether those kids like you or not, or the parents appreciate you, whether, yes or no, good day, bad day, any of that, that's going to be all like this all the time. But you know what's the constant above that all? You're going to heaven. Amen? Are you saved? Have you repented? Have you you said yes to Christ? You're going to heaven. They didn't appreciate me. That's okay, I'm going to heaven. I, I got cancer, but I'm going to heaven. I've been forgiven of my sins. I'm a Christian. God's going to be with me. He's going to receive me for eternally. He's going to, I'm going to see his face. He's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. Well done, you did it. They didn't appreciate you. You were sick. You showed up. Nobody else showed up. Well done. That's the great reward, guys. This, this is a hit and miss reward. There it's perfect reward. Perfect understanding. Perfect recognition. Can I just ask you guys lovingly, I'm not mad, okay? Do you care? You care. You gotta care. Jesus didn't save you to make you happy. He saved you to make you holy, to use you. And that's where the excitement of the Christian life is. If your Christian life is not exciting right now, it may be because you're just kind of like barely plugged in. There's an old saying from the 70s get under the spout where the glory comes out. (laughs) Get involved, man. Be involved you don't know how to be involved come forward for prayer if you don't even want to be involved but you know you should come forward for prayer (laughs) let's rev it up man let's go you know what i'm saying god wants to use you we're not going to keep you busy here but jesus will we're not going to develop a bunch of programs for you guys to keep busy so you have a purpose in life jesus has a purpose for your life he's going to build his kingdom he's going to build his church you guys with me yes or no okay that's that's what the bible says I hope and pray that you have this kind of joy. They came back excited. 
Verse 31, 32, if you're serving God, it can be tiring physically, emotionally, psychologically, spiritually. Jesus made regular efforts for prayer and rest, both alone by himself. He was often up in the morning praying, and then he'd get alone with his disciples. Jesus sought to be revitalized and refreshed in all the ways that we've been discussing. Jesus was God in the flesh, but I'll tell you, his flesh got tired. His emotions got tired. His psyche got tired. His soul got tired. He was fully man. And so he needed a break sometimes, and so are you. And I really praise the Lord for some folks that, that just serve like crazy, but don't forget to take a break. That's really, really important, or else you're going to burn out. We don't want to burn out. You know those lights on your dashboard on your car when, the, when you forgot to change the oil for three years, and that red light comes on, you know, we call them idiot lights. <laughs> hey, idiot, you know, you need to put oil in your car. You know, they're warning lights. I have a few of those warning lights that I, that I can recognize in my own life when I need to, you know what, I need, I need to back off a bit. I need to take a break. I need to go home and read the Word. I need to go home and read a Bible or a, a good book about a Christian life, a Christian biography. I need to get refreshed. So take care, take care of your soul. Take care of your soul as you serve the Lord. Rick Warren has a great saying, divert daily, withdraw weekly, abandon annually. Take a break but then get back in the game. And finally, last down at the bottom there, we are not to serve according to perceived needs or felt needs, but by God's leading. There's a lot of, I get a lot of invitations, again, for our church to be involved in things, and they're not bad things. Guys, if, we, if I shared with you guys, I don't know if there's any questions, guys, you can put them on the thing here. Um, if I shared with you guys all the invitations that we have to be involved in different ministries, we'd sing a few songs and just make announcements all day. There's needs everywhere. There's needs everywhere. But don't forget, Jesus said, I, say it with me, I will build my church. Say it again. I will build my church. We take our marching orders from him. First we come to him, we repent, we get saved, we get filled with the Holy Spirit, come to him and then we are sent out from him. And he's given us a lane to run in. He's given us gifts to run in that lane. And he's got things for us to do. And the healthiest church isn't going to be the biggest church. The healthiest church is going to be when 100% of the Christians are doing exactly what God wants them to. That's going to be a church that turns Napa County upside down. We don't need huge numbers to turn Napa County upside down. We just, and the Lord would have all of us to just be absolutely involved in what he wants us to do. Starting with number one, with our love for him. If you've, lost, if you've left your first love, you've got to rekindle it again. Get back and do the first things, Jesus says. 